Hello from the future, new listeners. Here are a few things you should know before you start listening. First and most important, this is a queer and trans podcast. We do not support JK Rowling in any way. In fact, we wrote the guide on how to interact with this fandom ethically, and you can find it on our website, hashtag ruthless.com. If you're a JKR apologist, this is not the place for you. Second, as with most podcasts, it took us a while to figure out our stride, so please know two things. One, we did start doing chapter recaps starting with the next episode. And two, we started going one chapter at a time, finally, when we hit episode nine. Third, this is a fully spoiled podcast. And finally, thank you so much for listening. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. No, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about Harry Potter! Hello, and welcome to the Gaily Prophet, a podcast where two IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount. And this is episode one, where we're talking about the first four chapters of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, depending on where you live. All right. Well, because I have extreme ADD, I only read the first three chapters. <laughs> so this, okay. So this... We're talking about the first three <laughs> chapters. Ah, uh, whoops. No, we're all good. But before we talk about the actual content of the book we're going to talk about our relationships with harry potter and tell you about who we are so that you can know that you're really excited to listen to this podcast jesse you go first i will in fact go first also to let everyone know why this podcast has the gayest name and logo (laughs) correct So I was one of those people who started reading Harry Potter while they were being published. I read books one through three first before book four came out. And then I became obsessed because book three is so good. (laughs) And then uh, it's very cliche, but the whole like Deathly Hallows came out like right after I graduated from college. So it felt very much like growing up with Harry, quote unquote. And it's just. I mean, really, since book three, I was just like totally obsessed with Harry Potter. Wait, so did you start reading when book three was already out? Yeah. Okay. Book four was maybe published like a year later or something. Cool. I think that's the same for me. I am an asshole and (laughs) refuse to do things that other people like until I'm like forced into it so harry potter was really popular and i would not read it because (laughs) people liked it and i was like no i will not even open that book and so i was at some point in in middle school i was sitting on the shed roof at my dad's house and because i i really like sitting on roofs that's a thing that's true about me (laughs) um so I was up there, I was reading a book, and I finished my book, and I didn't want to get down. And so I asked my stepmom if she would bring me a new book. 
and she did and it was the first harry potter book and i was stuck on a roof i mean i wasn't stuck but like i i would have had to get off the roof and put the book back and get a new book if i wanted to continue not reading harry potter <laughs> and so that is that is how i started reading it uh the first at least the first two but i think the first three books were out it was already like a thing at that point and of course i was hooked yeah and then of course i had to like join the the waiting period for book four and onward to come out i feel like i really loved that period of time just because uh especially like after book four came out when i like the year before i went into high school and then whenever book five came out i was still in high school and i uh read a lot of uh fan theories and fan fiction on the internet about harry potter and, and like the whole like live journal thing and this like people with like wild speculations between all of the books is just like maybe one of my favorite things about consuming media that's like coming out that's like current is being able to be like what's gonna happen next you know wild fan theories and the joy of finding out if you were right or not is one of my favorite things that's really beautiful i have never been good at any of that piece of fandom of anything like i don't even think that i knew that fanfic existed until like two years ago because that's how i am and i i think for a long time i like didn't even know that that was like an option that i had available to me and i always feel a little bit jealous of people who are like yeah i like found connection and found people that were also into it and i could talk about it and bond about it yeah there's no point of that story. That's just a thing that's true. I have read one entire Harry Potter fanfic in my entire life, and it was beautiful, and I loved it. And it was like one paragraph long, <laughs> and it was McGonagall, Professor Sprout fanfic, which is my favorite, my favorite, can like, I consider it canon pairing. I think that that Rowling tells us that there are a couple in during the final battle of Hogwarts in book seven there's an exchange that passes between them that's like, oh, for sure, they have been together for 20 years. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. For sure. And I don't consider anything that J.K. Rowling like says on Pottermore about any of the characters to be canon. <laughs> I just think she's wrong. Like McGonagall's marriage or whatever she says is on there. It's just, I'm just like, well, you're wrong. That's too bad for you. <laughs> That you don't know about your characters. I definitely feel like McGonagall feels like a very almost like Haynes Code-esque stern like queer you know school marm in a way that's like hard to read as anything besides queer <laughs> I feel like it's just like uh-huh you love cats and have a stern bun or like what else are we supposed to think about you? Right. Okay so let's talk about who we are yeah yeah so i am a gryffindor my pronouns are he him i do five thousand different things with my time some of which are reading tarot now making a podcast and three pit bulls that are named jezebel rufio and inigo montoya two of which are asleep in the room with me right now. Yeah. So I do a lot less things than you, I feel like in general. Um, 
<laughs> um, I am a, I feel like reluctant Gryffindor seems weird, but I feel like someone who thought that they were a Ravenclaw for a long time. And I was like, I am actually a Gryffindor and that's okay. <laughs> My pronouns are she, her, and I am also a rabid cat lady. I have two cats, Winnie and Toshi, and would happily have probably three more if I could. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, you know, work in a nonprofit and spend a lot of time reading silly things on the internet and watching a lot of TV, which I don't actually have a lot of time for, but I always make time to <laughs> watch ridiculous <laughs> things on the internet. It's great. I think we should very briefly uh, explain why our podcast is called The Gaily Prophet. Oh, yeah, that is a good idea. Which is very straightforward in that we're queer. And gay people love puns. Uh-huh. Everyone should love puns, but this, yes. This is true. And the fact that no one has started a like queer Harry Potter thing called The Gaily Prophet before now is mind-boggling. Totally. No one has even started one called The Daily Prophet because The Daily Prophet podcast is taken and it's like a Christian podcast. Why? Oh, no. Wait. I hope they have an episode where they condemn Harry Potter to like, because oh it's like, you know, oh, this book causes Satanism in our Christian children. I hope that you're right. That would be really funny. Yeah. Okay. So we're queer we love harry potter queers love harry potter queers love puns also we will be on high alert for all gay content subtext creating gay subtext it's a gay podcast there's gonna be so much queer subtext because so many of the teachers are like coded as queer like come on madam hooch you guys like (laughs) classic like lesbian gym teacher i don't make the rules but she is Totally. Also, oh, right. And then Professor Grubbly Plank, which is like clearly the butchest woman who like just strolled her way into the book. And I'm like, yep, you're, you're really butch. Like, uh-huh. there's no. And Madam Bones. And Madam Bones, you're right. She wears a monocle. I mean, that is some like peak goth queer fashion and i'm here for it i man if i could tolerate the feeling of a monocle (laughs) this dandy would be be monocled every moment of the day i like don't know how you wear monocles do you always have to have like your eye like squished out like i don't understand like i like the look of it when i've read of like in descriptions of i have no idea where i read a description of someone putting a monocle in but you (laughs) it's described as screwing it in so you like it sits behind your orbital bones. It's like putting in a gauged earring, I guess, you know, like a double flare where you like put the bigger oh, end yeah. in, like screw it so it fits in there. That cannot be comfortable. How do you even blink? Monocles are impractical, but hot. Moral of the story. I feel like if you're like a wizard, you probably use a really great sticking charm. Oh my God. Like, this is cool. Freaking wizards. <laughs> Jealous. <laughs> If only we would totally be those like those queer people like wearing monocles. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's talk about Harry Potter. 
Okay, so we are we are attempting to have like a format that mimics a newspaper because we're called the Gaily Prophet. This is our first go at it. Who knows if it will work or if we will keep it. But we are going to start with today's headlines, which are alternate chapter titles for the chapters we have read for this episode that I wrote. Okay. Today's headlines, trio of wizards, endangered, traumatized child, blame supervillain. <laughs> I haven't heard any of these, so I'm really excited. <laughs> Great. Snake captured at Heathrow. Airport authorities respond, no motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. <laughs> and finally, local man kidnaps family, blames wizards. <laughs> oh, man. These all sound like National Enquirer headlines. <laughs> okay, so our next our next segment is the front page where we talk about stuff that was in there that we thought about, right? Yeah, yeah. that's what we're doing. Yeah. So here's my first my first note or my most important note for chapter one is exposition more like expo unbelievable shin <laughs> because <laughs> it's the worst exposition ever like so profoundly you reading it now as an adult the way that mcgonagall and dumbledore talk and give us all of the backstory on what has happened with harry and voldemort is like y'all stop it right now like this is so very bad i mean i guess we're assuming everyone's read all those series but we should probably do like a few sentence recap yeah sure in chapter the boy who lived everyone's celebrating because voldemort is gone vernon dursley is very surprised and annoyed by wizards celebrating about you know who and then uh dumbledore mcgonagall abandoned poor baby orphan harry potter on a doorstep at like 3 a.m. and there is some not really great exposition okay so the things in this that don't belong in other sections that i want to talk about the first is how in the entire world does everyone know what happened how does harry is still this is i'm gonna get more into this in editorials when we rant about things but like while this chapter is taking place, baby Harry is still stuck in his crib in a falling down house next to his dead mother's body. And everyone knows that Voldemort is gone, has been defeated, his power is broken, everything is better, everyone's celebrating. How do they know? How does anyone know? You know, that is actually a really good I have in my notes a star by like what happened during these 24 hours of like Voldemort being disintegrated or whatever happens to him and like Hagrid bringing Harry to Privet Drive because it's like legit almost 24 hours. And so you're like, right. How, why does yeah. like, how does everyone know already? Like, was there like a reporter hanging out and they're like, oh, it's, it is very <laughs> bewildering. And I'm like, right. Like what is going on with Harry uh, I have a note because there's a mention of everyone's favorite ex-con, Sirius Black, who is wrongly convicted of murdering 13 people, is mentioned in this chapter, lending Hagrid his motorbike 
Which is even more confusing then, because you're like, so you send like Hagrid to, and I mean, I love Hagrid. N- not, this is no offense to him, he's a great dude. But is he the first person to go get Harry? Like from this like broken down house, like next to his parents' corpses? And like, what is like Sirius doing? He's like, I'm so overcome with guilt and like sadness. Here is my, like, why isn't Sirius delivering? I mean, Sirius would probably be like, what are you doing with this child delivering him to these terrible people? So maybe that's why. But I mean, it makes like zero sense, zero sense. But yeah, let's let's come back to that in a little bit. Um, okay, so I want to hear about your chapter one takes. All right. Uh, first off is back to the terrible exposition is like the way that Dumbledore and McGonagall talk to one another. It's like you should already know this. Like you guys are friends and have like worked together Dumbledore taught McGonagall like they've known they they go way back so there's not any reason for her to like have a really kind of stunted expositiony conversation. I feel like there's some things that she just should have already known. Wait, she asked how he recognized her yes, as that a was cat. My note. Like, bro, y'all teach together, and you you show your students your cat form every year. We know this from later books, right? And McGonagall's one of like only three registered animagi i feel like everyone should know what she looks you know what her cat form looks like like that doesn't absolutely doesn't actually make any sense i want to know a question that i have is just were the dementors on voldemort's side the first go around we have no way of answering that but if they were like why would they put them in charge of the prison and if they weren't why was it so easy for them to be turned the second go around that's just a question that i have also, I don't know if it's stated in the later books, but in the first chapter, it's like the first war was going on for 11 years. Like, that's a fucking long time. It's so long. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of like, oh, I, I can't even begin to describe to you how bad it was back in the day. But like 11 years is like, that's like even pre the Marauders era where like, you know, Voldemort was like trying to fuck shit up. And I mean, I guess I don't know if he spent those entire years being as escalated as it gets in the later books, but I mean, he could have legitimately taken shit over in like 11 years. For sure. Especially given how fast it goes the second time. Though I guess maybe there was like a better, there was better leadership the first time maybe. But anyway, another question that I have is, you know, the there are so many owls flying that it's like on the Muggle news. Can the Muggle see the letters? that the owls are carrying are wizard letters invisible to muggles you know this is an excellent question because it doesn't actually say in this chapter it's just like oh we see a bunch of owls and i'm like they should be carrying newspapers <laughs> like or letters or whatever right I, right not just like owls flying everywhere but like owls flying everywhere carrying papers that's like a way different a way different situation you're going to hear me talk a lot of shit about <laughs> some parts of the way that Harry Potter is written. Cause I feel like the craft of writing is not JKR's strongest skill, which is okay. Like I love this series. It's totally fine. But the last sentence of chapter one never fails to give me chills. And so I'm kind of like, it's just, it's so great. So I'm going to, I'm going to read it. Actually, I'm going to read the last paragraph. Cause it doesn't really make that much sense. All right. A breeze ruffled near the hedges of Privet Drive, which lay silent and tidy under the inky sky, the very last place you'd expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside his blanket without waking up. 
one small hand closing the letter beside him and he slept on not knowing he was special not knowing he was famous not knowing he would be woken up in a few hours time by mrs dursley's scream as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles nor that he would spend the next few weeks being prodded and pinched by his cousin dudley he should know that at this very moment people meeting in secret all over the country were holding up their glasses and saying in hushed tones to harry potter the boy who lived like it's such a it's such a beautiful image and just like oh i don't know it's so great i'm yeah it is the not knowing he was special not knowing he was famous is definitely very like evocative feeling feeling evoking Mm -hmm. to To harry Harry potter Potter. one more question that i have (laughs) for you does Professor McGonagall have to wear the same pair of glasses for her entire life because her animagus form has the markings of her glasses on it? That is an excellent question. Square glasses is a fashion choice. It is a real choice. I mean, okay, I guess if if you're a wizard and you can just like fix your glasses whenever, but that, that assumes that your like prescription doesn't change. I don't know. Maybe they just show up on her face, even if she's not wearing glasses. Well, because you're like your form is fixed. I'm because you have to like register your markings with the ministry or whatever, right? So it's not like she could like change. I I don't think that you can like change what your form looks like after you after you make it. But then like what happens if she come has like a new aesthetic and goes for like a cat eye, you know, or you know grows with the times and gets glasses that are as big as her whole face i don't know it's just it just seems like a big a big choice on her part to have been like yeah these glasses they're like so me that i'm gonna like incorporate (laughs) them into my my cat form we'll never know yeah i don't know if you could it's actually a really good question (laughs) um I don't know. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe McGonagall was like, look at these cool square markings I have on my face. I should get some glasses. To oh my God. I hope that's the one. <laughs> wow. Cat me looks good. I mean, I feel because I feel like that would be the thing that like, I feel like Rita Skeeter would do because <laughs> she also has glasses markings around her eyes as a beetle. Oh my God. You are correct. Huh? Oh my god, I can't wait to talk about Rita Skeeter. Anyway. <laughs> my last chapter one note is just that I want to read the description of Dumbledore when he shows up because it is so beautiful and so gay. Yes, please. Do. I don't have a note about that, but I was like, yes. <laughs> he was wearing long robes, a purple cloak that swept the ground and high heeled buckled boots. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realize that he had just arrived in a street where everything from his name to his boots was unwelcome. Hot. Also his sexuality. <laughs> That's That lives somewhere between his name and his boots. <laughs> I think it's really the boots that likes, that really just is like, yeah, that he just looks like, like a gay wizard. And you're just like, yep. For sure. I'm here for this. I, I probably want some high heeled buckled boots. Like, he's, like, the dandy of wizards, and I love it. This is why, okay, so I feel like a lot of people were just like, she had never put Dumbledore being gay in the books, and I'm like, do y'all remember that purple suit he has in fucking, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, Half-Blood Prince, where he goes to see, like, oh my baby God. Tom Riddle? Plum he's wearing velvet. It's, 
it is plum velvet. There is nothing straight about plum velvet. Even back in... <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. And then Lark <laughs> ruined his equipment, spitting LaCroix all over it. <laughs> the gayest technological error that has ever happened. <laughs> um yeah so like right and this is like back in like what like the 20s or something and i'm like dumbledore that is hella gay like your plum suit yeah <laughs> going to see a student i'm like what there's nothing so i'm just like how is this a surprise to people <laughs> like there's nothing yeah i mean i think people just wanted to do you mean do you mean people being like we wanted explicitly stated or do you mean people being outraged when she was like of course he's gay because the people who were outraged, like, get your shit together, people. Yeah. Obviously, this man is gay. But I am yeah. on the side of people who are like, could you just, like, state clearly that he and Grindelwald were fucking and also writing lots of letters? I feel like when I read those chapters, I'm just like, oh, they definitely had a relationship. Like, I mean, yes, it would have been cool if she would have been, like, explicitly like, yes, whatever the wizarding word for being gay is, you know, he's that. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like Bethilda Bagshot is just so accepting of what everything Grindelwald does right she's just like yeah he turned out to be a monster but what a nice boy he was in the beginning <laughs> so I feel like of everyone to just like nonchalantly be like yeah and then he like started being boyfriends with Dumbledore she's the one who would just be like yeah it's fine i'm fine i was fine with it then i'm fine with it now of course i'll just like offhand mention it like it's not a big deal because it's not yeah so we had prime prime opportunity for it to be written in to the text and it just didn't happen which is bad yeah i don't know and especially i feel like by like the last book i'm like jkr you could have said literally anything you wanted to and especially considering that there is some like pretty hinted at super inappropriate things in the last book she could have just been like oh yeah they were together like in a relationship they could have done they could have touched her she's like a bajillionaire i mean right. the last two books needed like three more months of editing and she was like fuck it whatever i'm jkr so. yeah right. <laughs> chapter two in which there are so many spiders why why are there so many spiders in the closet? Harry's in the closet every day. He sleeps there. He goes to bed there. He wakes up there. He gets dressed in there. Those spiders went somewhere else. There are no spiders in a room that a human is in all the time. It's not like they're just like, well, this is the cupboard under the stairs. This is where spiders live. Too bad, kid. They would move. They would go elsewhere. That's what I have to say. Maybe the spiders like him. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess if this is like a cupboard where like the bottom of the stairs is also above the basement. Do they have basements in the UK? I don't know. But like, I don't know. Actually, no, that's, I have friends who have a house that they live in and there are always spiders everywhere. Sure. But like, it's a small space. He would be taking down their webs nightly, right? Because like this, it's right Not, over his Because they're his friends because he's the most sad, neglected child. <laughs> That's actually a lot of what I underlined in this chapter is like Harry acting nothing like a sad, neglected child. This, both this and chapter three, just like teasing Dudley, like egging him on, saying really snarky stuff to him. And like just so much of his behavior, I'm like, for a kid who's like objectively very poorly treated, 
you're kind of well adjusted like yeah just like sassy and confident yeah i definitely have in my notes so much abuse neglect and like he's definitely malnourished yeah it's i don't want to say like almost disingenuous how like chill he seems in the face of like all his childhood neglect Mm -hmm. but I mean, I guess you almost kind of expect him to be more like a Voldemort or a like Snape where you're just like a complete asshole because like you just, I mean, not to say that people who have abusive childhoods are assholes. Like, I'm not trying to say that, but like, I feel like that kind of acting out makes more sense when you're like, or like withdrawing, I think is, is like the thing that's what makes like how we know that Snape is abused, right? Is that he's like very, very like withdrawn and like turned inward. Whereas Harry just is like, I, the it's chapter three i'm jumping ahead but like he he says to dudley the toilet has never had anything as horrible as your head in it it might be sick and like for a kid who like we're meant to believe from the story like dudley is pretty profoundly physically abusive and is unchecked by the the adult dursleys those two things like don't match up for me because that is Harry would, you know, he like runs away, but how would that, they sleep in the same house, you know? I don't know. It just seems, it seems off. It seems off to me. I also have a note that I feel like, in reality, like, Dolly doesn't have a great childhood either. I mean, I don't have kids, but I'm like, that's probably not how you're supposed to like, I mean, children need like structure and like discipline and stuff. And it's like, you guys do a (laughs) shitty job with Dudley too. For sure. And one of my notes is in the stories of like weird shit that Harry has made happen is the story of that brown sweater with the orange (laughs) puffballs. And my takeaway from that story is extreme pity for Dudley, who had to wear that sweater first. Like that was Dudley's sweater. Dudley had to wear a brown sweater with orange puffballs on it. And he didn't have the capacity to shrink it when his mother was trying to put it on his head. Yeah. I feel very sad for him. I mean, that's not the only reason I feel sad for Dudley, but that's like a real good reason. Yeah. I feel like as an adult, I feel much more sympathy to like Dudley. I mean, I feel like it really kind of happens once. I mean, around like book six and seven, you're just like, oh, bro. I don't know. I just feel like he has like a different shitty childhood to Harry's shitty childhood, you know? Totally. And he's going to he's going to be screwed up as an adult for sure. And yeah. He's going to, like, go to therapy and be like, oh, whoa, my parents, like, fucked me up. Yeah, I I mean, he's going to go to therapy and have to process the fact that, like, he grew up abusing another child at the prompting of his parents. He's going to have to learn how to place the responsibility of his behavior towards Harry on his parents and, like, understand that he committed monstrous behaviors because he was encouraged to and like have to learn how to be the person that he wants to be as an adult, which we see emerging at the end of the books. But I mean, that's horrifying. Yeah. He needs so much therapy. Yeah. And probably horrifying because he probably even begun to carry this conclusion because of whatever, like the dementia, the dementors like showed him, which is like, Oh God, good point. Like having to come to that conclusion as like knowing that about, I guess like the worst part of yourself. I'm like, Ooh, that's like a really, like that's a really terrible breakthrough to have. Right. Surprise. Yeah. And Harry's like, what, 
possibly could like pamper Dudley have been exposed to with the Dementors. And I feel like you're really right. Probably what he was exposed to is like, oh my God, I am a monster. Yeah. Not something that happened to him, but something that he did. (sighs) Yeah. Lighter note. Can I just say Ampetunia's nicknames for Dudley (laughs) are so relatable for me. I read them and I'm like, that's me. Like, <laughs> that is me and Evan with our dogs. Anybody who has ever heard us talk to our dogs, it, like, we might as well be calling them Dinky Diddy Dums because it's like, I just, I feel a kinship with Aunt Petunia. I feel like I know a lot of people who have pets that do that. And I mean, I definitely do that. Like, I, yeah, like, I always just have a bunch of ridiculous nicknames to like my, my cats. That's just what you do. Yep. Anyway. yeah i also i also feel like for me as a cat person that um mrs fig is very relatable <laughs> yeah i just i just have a note about her um really great cat names from the book that she shows harry or doesn't show harry because she's angry at her cats for breaking one of breaking her leg over them and i'm like that is I feel like relatable about being like, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna think about these assholes. Mrs. Fig really could have been a little nicer to Harry. Her, I mean, so we learn later that she's like, I had to be horrible, otherwise they wouldn't have sent you to me anymore. But like, come on, kids can keep secrets. Feed that child a ton of cake and like let him watch whatever he wants on TV and then be like, never tell the Dursleys. He has no problem never telling the Dursleys. He will go home and be like, all we did was like feed cats. Her Some of her cat names are Tibbles, Snowy, Mr. Paws, and Tufty. Yeah, I feel like Mr. Paws and Tufty are definitely things I would call my cats. What would Mrs. Fig have named Crookshanks? This is a really important question. Um, Definitely Marmalade or Stripes, I think. I... I think that you're absolutely right, but I also want to throw Waddles into the mix because he's bandy-legged. Let's just pretend that, like, Hermione's parents call him, like, Mr. Wobbles or something really, like, (laughs) All right. Uh, (laughs) I have actually a uh, question for you in Chapter 2. So, like, when Harry first sees the snake in the zoo, it, like, winks at him. So, like, does the snake know he's a parcel mouth because like Harry doesn't speak to him first I don't think I have so much to say about this snake wink that is unrelated to this I'm really excited to talk about it though well so Harry is like leaning in thinking about how bad he feels for the snake and given that like a large amount of this particular communication I I think it's not like taking place actually verbally at first I think that the snake can read Harry's mind. I can believe that, actually. Can we talk about this snake wink? <laughs> yes! Okay. So Snakes don't have eyelids. Oh my god. You're right! So, here's here's what's up. Here's what I learned. Because I looked it up. I was like, do I, what my Google search was, do any snakes have eyelids? Because I needed <laughs> to know, for sure. The answer is No. Actually, the way that biologists can tell the difference between a snake and a legless lizard 
is eyelids. That's the only difference between a snake and a legless lizard is that legless lizards have eyelids. Huh. That's a fun new tongue twister that I just came up with. <laughs> Wait, do snakes have like the like nictating membrane thing though? Or you mean that that's the second eyelid that like dogs have, right? Yeah. No, but they close their retinas when they're sleeping. What does that even deal with that? Oh my god. <laughs> Animals are real magic, you guys. <laughs> it's like I can't they can like vol- not I guess yeah voluntarily it, on purpose they can close their retinas so that it's dark yeah. I guess yeah did it like close its one retina Harry is that what <laughs> is that what, would what freaky ass wink like a sideways <laughs> just like pupil like whoop, shutting and opening again and Harry's like that was a wink I accept that as. <laughs> snake winking at me i mean listen a lot of weird things happen to him before he even knows he's a wizard i feel like having a like like a weird retina wink is like i think he's maybe he's got to roll with it i suppose i guess um also the snake can read right he's like where'd you come from and it like points at the sign with its tail so it knows what the sign says maybe people come up and read read the sign out loud often enough yeah i really like going to zoos and i feel like uh i see that a lot especially with kids who are like reading the signs out loud so i feel like the snake has probably heard everything on his like placard like multiple times a day for i probably most of its life also can we talk about how the snake knows a bit of spanish (laughs) 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 and it knows for sure that you that you speak Spanish where it would have been born if it had not been bred in captivity. But also leads to the interesting question of are there different dialects of parcel tongue? Do Holy like shit. snakes in like Central America hiss in Spanish? Oh my this God. This is a very <laughs> multi-layered sentence, I feel like. <laughs> my brain is literally broken right now. The existing... I can't. Uh, oh no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. I mean, maybe this means that like the snake in the chamber of secret had a really weird accent, and that's why Harry's like, what the hell is that noise? Like <laughs> had a really thick Scottish accent. I don't know. Oh my god. <laughs> or it's like speaking old English because it's so old. <laughs> It's like trying to read a line of Shakespeare. What What are you saying? What's going on? I... Yeah, it's just like talking like Chaucer. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, amazing. Whew. Yeah, let's go to uh, let's go to chapter three then. Okay. First question: Why does Hogwarts know where Harry sleeps? Why? Okay. Yeah, actually, I my note is that like they know he's under the stairs and no one was like wizard CPS. It's like, all right, cool. You're like living in a broom closet. That's fun. If they know, <laughs> they know that and it's like, okay. Yeah, so they know where he sleeps and they didn't do shit about it. Okay, cool. Thanks, thanks, McGonagall. I will say though that they very quickly moved him when they thought people were watching and knew he lived under the stairs. And I'm like, this is fucked up. You could send this, y'all could have sent an owl like 
11 years ago to be like, hey, don't mistreat this kid. We're watching you. Right. And there's a bed in the fourth bedroom no one's using. What the fuck? <laughs> right. Where Dudley just like keeps his garbage toys. I, th- I think personally that the most important question for chapter three is, does how does JK Rowling not know how hard it is to pull out facial hair? <laughs> like he should be bleeding. <laughs> well, and like, I mean, anyone who has ever tried to pull out like a, a real, you know, like whisker hair with just your fingers knows that that does not work you need tweezers and it hurts dude is there pulling out great tufts of his mustache absolutely not that's not how that's working yes he would be bleeding he would be like swollen and it just it also just wouldn't work i feel like i had to go back and reread i'm like did like the letter like hit him in the face because i'm just like wait what happened to his mustache okay hold on i will read it to you one moment I feel there's a lot of facts in here that could have been very easily fact-checked by JKR. I, I mean, I, everyone has at least like one errant hair that grows and you're like, I have to pull that out. She knows. She knows. Everyone knows. Yeah, I have hairs that I'm just like, I'm not going to pluck that. I can just chill there. I am uh, getting to the point of taking tea where I now have to shave my face every day and I hate it. But I'm not going to look like a 13-year-old boy. So. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, does it grow in like evenly or is it like still kind of patchy? Heck no, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like stubble is always, I feel like looks cool, but. Not like, it's like how teenagers stubble grows in. Just like one little bit at a time, like I'd end up with just like a pervy like weasel mustache and be terrible. All right. That does it, said Uncle Vernon, trying to speak calmly, but pulling great tufts out of his mustache at the same time. I want you all back here in five minutes ready to leave. That's that's what we got. Yeah, Yeah, that is not an accurate sentence. (laughs) He looked so dangerous with half his mustache missing that no one dared argue. Probably because he is bleeding profusely in his (laughs) lips. Just (laughs) dripping (laughs) blood. Get in the car. <laughs> I did write that, like, it is a little funny, like, how unhinged he gets in this chapter. Totally. I mean, like, ridiculous. It's, like, the only, the only truly funny part about what I feel, because I feel like these first couple chapters, it's, like, written very, like, ha ha, look how ridiculous the Dursley are, which is, like, really very horrifying. But, like, this part mm-hmm. is actually legitimately funny because it's so ridiculous. Um, I have a note that Smeltings, the school that Dudley wants to go to, sounds like a hotbed of homoerotic male hazing. Totally. With their, like, knobbly sticks they use to hit people, and I'm like, that is going to be some weird sadomasochistic hazing happening. Dudley, you deserve better. (laughs) I just feel Dudley hits his father with his smelting stick, which... I feel like Vernon deserves... Yeah, I feel, like he def- I feel like he smacks him in the back of the head in like either chapter three or chapter two, and I'm like, bro, like what? This child is eleven. Like Dudley's an eleven year old child. Yeah. Also, like if you raise a child that feels entitled to hit you with a stick because you're doing something that he doesn't like, you you probably deserve to get hit with a stick. Yeah. No, they're really bad parents. They're such bad Real parents. Bad. They're so terrible. <laughs> They're such terrible parents. 
There's also a question that smeltings makes me have is like, I feel like everything that I've read where someone is going to a private school in England, the like school uniform is like a clown costume. And is that like, I tried to look it up. I, I tried to look up what they look like, but I just found like very, very normal outfits, but in like the outfit that Dudley wears, he's like orange pants and a maroon blazer and like something with stripes. And they're always wearing boaters. Like <laughs> what is, why? I mean, I, I always assume that she's her like making fun of like rich schooling like that. Cause it seems like such a mockery of itself. Yeah. The only other example I can think of is um, Carry On with the school uniforms that they have in Carry On are also like a purple and green striped blazer with like a purple sweater and bright green striped pants. And that is ridiculous. You know, I also have read Carry On. I totally forgot about their terrible school uniforms. I feel like, and I feel like they don't talk about it in the show the magicians but i feel like in the books they talk about there's weirdly like proper school uniform that does involve like a blazer and they have like the school crest as a pin and it's like very like subdued but it's also very much like you have to wear this at school Mm -hmm. and like formal dinner in the dining hall obviously it's you know the magicians is obviously you know in the a post harry potter magical school series so it's kind of like I think also still inspired by Harry Potter, but I'm also still kind of just like, do like weird boarding schools and do they used to have weird outfits? Yeah, I don't know. If you know about boarding schools, email us. If you went to a boarding school with a clown costume as your uniform, send us pictures. (laughs) (laughs) I would appreciate it with my whole entire being. Um, So Vernon loses his whole entire mind when these letters start showing up, he he who is so concerned about the neighbors thinking that he's normal boards up all of the doors and windows and like makes the mailman deliver or the milkman deliver milk through the through like a slot in a window. He sleeps on the floor in front of the doorway. There's a lot there's a lot taking place. I feel like this brings up an interesting question though, is that Petunia obviously does not talk about Lily in the magical world really at all. But Vernon knows enough to like go to these extreme measures. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I am just like trying to imagine that like conversation about like, oh yeah, my sister is a witch. And so is her husband and I hate yeah. it. Right. Petunia doesn't talk about it. But I mean, my guess, so what we see in chapter one of like Vernon, like if he had had a sister like that, she probably just gave him like the briefest of like horrifying exaggerated rundowns you know like hey before we get married i just have to let you know my sister is a monster here's this thing it's terrible and that's all vernon knows and so like he just like lives with this like looming threat of like another monster growing up in his house. I don't know. I mean, I think there's maybe the possibility that he's like met Lily and James, maybe. Cause I mean, 
I mean, they don't explicitly say it, but like, I mean, Harry and Dudley are the same age, so Petunia and Vernon probably got together maybe in a similar time frame as, you know, Lily and Jaden's graduating. Okay, this chapter ends with Hagrid showing up, right? So, mm-hmm. so we know by the end of this chapter, right, that Vernon's provisions that he has stopped for is like a banana and a bag of chips each. Is that correct? Yes. Which I just feel like Rowling nailed it with what (laughs) a man who has always had his meals prepared by either his mother or his wife thinks it looks like to make dinner. I feel like all is missing is like, I don't know, whatever the UK ver- version of like, I don't know, an Arizona iced tea is or something. Or, here are your gas station provisions that I got for you. <laughs> no water, just like right, a no soda or, like a, or, a, or a Gatorade. <laughs> like, it would just be like, there you go. There you go, everyone. That's that's dinner. Wait, hold on. There really isn't any water, right? No <laughs> They're like in the middle of the sea with a bag of chips and a banana and no water. No. They don't even have like, I mean, does this, I feel like this hut on a rod doesn't have running water. Like, I I really don't see that happening. There's no way that there is running water. There might. Oh, man. How could there even be a well? Like, there isn't. There's no way. I mean, this is very clearly a very poorly thought out plan. Look, it says recording started. (laughs) Holy moly. (laughs) This is an adventure that we are having. (sighs) Okay. Oh, man. It's all right. It's okay. We've learned some new things. Just laugh at my jokes again and I'll be fine. That's all I need from you. (laughs) That's pretty much guaranteed. I mean, it's it's still going to be funny. Like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, god damn it. I don't want to have to do it all again. <laughs> it's okay. That's all right. We're, we're, we're going to make it through together. Okay. Whew. Okay. So they eat their meal of only carbs. And it makes me upset to think <laughs> of how hangry they are after eating a banana and a bag of chips. And it makes me sad as a human to think about them being locked in that hut together, all of them hangry and dehydrated. Can you think about how dry your mouth is, like oh eating God. chips and a banana with no water? Like, I'm imagining the banana is not all the way ripe because it came from a gas station. So it's oh like God. pretty green. And, like, a green banana is a really drying thing to have in your mouth, right? They're kind of, like, astringent. It's, like, it feels like it would almost be worth going outside in the rain to, like, get some water. But it's, like, just, like, the tip of your mouth to the sky. But then it's, like, oh, there's no fire because, again, Because it just has to, like, light a chip (laughs) bag on fire. It's, like, made of cellophane. It's just gonna, like, curl up into, like, a ball and, like, be nothing. I kind of hoped that because it's 
England, it's like waxed paper because they don't use plastic as much, which is only kind of true. <laughs> I guess I'm imagining like a Lay's potato chip bag. I yeah, guess. right. And so then they're just like stuck in like toxic, toxic plastic <laughs> smoke <laughs> land. This is all. This is all just a terrible, a terrible time. So Come bad. By. Okay, so they're sad, they're thirsty. However, Vernon is in a very good mood, so says the book. He's really excited about how they're not going to get any letters, not even to make a fire with. You know, he could have just used the box that his gun is in. To make a fire? That's really true. Also, where did, where did this gun come from? Like, Like, I just don't understand, like, where... There isn't a gun store. Like, where did he get this? Definitely no gun stores. Okay, let's see. I just want to look at that really quick. Uncle Vernon had parked at the coast, locked them all inside the car, and disappeared. And then he comes back with a gun and the keys to the hut. So did he just go, like, knocking door to door, being like, (laughs) do you have... Like a bomb shelter and a gun that I can buy from you. Can I just like borrow your hunting rifle real quick? Like... Also, do you happen to have property in the middle of the ocean? <laughs> I'm really looking for some property in the middle of the ocean. Okay, so they find some blankies. They settle in. Harry has to lay on the floor. And I love, I really do love the um the like drama of the end of this chapter like five minutes to go harry heard something creak outside he hoped the roof wasn't going to fall in although he might be warmer if it did which no you won't harry you can be wet and then also crushed four minutes to go maybe the house and private drive would be so full of letters when they got back that he'd be able to steal one three minutes to go Was that the sea, slapping hard on the rock like that? And two minutes to go. What was that funny crunching noise? Was the rock crumbling into the sea? I don't know if you can hear it, but Jezebel is chewing a Nyla bone, and there's a crunching noise in the background. I think it's really nice. (laughs) What is that funny crunching noise? (laughs) One minute to go, and he'd be 11. 30 seconds. 20. 10. 9. Maybe he'd wake Dudley up just to annoy him. Three, two, one, boom. Which, for one second, do you, I want to believe and will believe and no one can stop me from believing that Hagrid waited, looking at his like pocket watch or whatever <laughs> wizards have, just standing outside the hut like, I'm not knocking until the second that Harry turns 11. Like, this is not a coincidence. <laughs> He and Harry are both looking at a at a watch being like 10 seconds to go because I mean Hagrid is he loves he loves a little bit of the dramatic that guy. No, this is true. I think I this did not ever occur to me and now I'm like yes, you're 100% correct. It's just too it's too much. It's too coincidental. Uh and then we have the whole the whole shack shivers. Now I'm just gonna think about 
like how to like make the lyrics fit with Harry Everybody's hangry. Everybody's hangry, baby. <laughs> Funky little shack. <laughs> oh. oh. Damn, this bed is lumpy. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, so Harry sits bolt upright, staring at the door. Someone was outside, knocking to come in. And there we end chapter three. I will say, though, that I feel like these first couple chapters do do a really good job of building the, like, I mean, okay, you you put in the book, it's like Harry Potter and Sorcerer Stone, Harry is a wizard. But like, it actually does do a really good job of being like, Harry just kind of has no idea what's about to happen. You know, mm-hmm. and like even you as a reader, kind of like, okay, but like, what's about to happen? Yeah, for sure. Even with the like all of the exposition in chapter one, we still <laughs> the terrible, the terrible exposition, <laughs> terrible <laughs> exposition. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So it's time to move on to our ne- next segment. Insert sound clip that I downloaded of a newspaper page turning doing the like uh-huh i listened to like 17 different sound clips before i <laughs> landed on That's my favorite <laughs> I, lo- I like i'm laughing because i would do the same thing and be like no it needs to have a particular yeah i, ho- so. I hope you like it Welcome to the politics section, where we talk Woo-hoo. about things that are fucked up. I feel like, I don't know, do we need... <laughs> We're going to be talking about abuse, you guys, just so you know. Because there's a lot of abuse that happens in these first three chapters. Um, yeah. And I'm like, and we talked about this briefly before, like, she tries to be like jokey, haha, kind of like the beginning of like James and the Giant Peach, where it's like, oh, an orphan with terrible like caretakers, they're like cartoonishly bad but it's also like it's like not funny because it's like harry is literally malnourished and neglected and abused and no one and no one is doing anything right when when roald dahl does it because she very much is channeling roald dahl in the first in the first three chapters of this book and especially in chapter one but it's it's very roald dahl-esque right yeah when he does it the abuse isn't funny in those either, but his books are about the kid winning over those adults. Yeah. Like, they're the adults are the evil that the child gains the power to, like, triumph over, which is a really mm-hmm. different dynamic. And we never have to wait very long in his books yeah. for that shift to start happening. Like, in Matilda, even before she gets her powers she starts the punishments of her parents we meet her when she has decided like right as she's deciding like you know what you throw my library book in the trash i'm gonna glue your hat to your head deal with it so we immediately we don't get a lot of chapters of her just suffering before we start seeing her gain the upper hand in the situation or at least like something that makes us feel better about it Whereas we don't get that at all with the Dursleys. Like, honestly, we don't get Harry not being maltreated by them until the end of book three. 
Yeah. And for every book, he, like, interacts with them. and Or is, like, staying with them this summer. You know, between books, between school years. And it's sort of, like, having that space and distance where it's, like, you keep... Harry keeps interacting with the Dursleys and the reader keeps interacting with the Dursleys. It makes these sort of, like... Ron doll ish like cartoonishly terrible child abuse. I don't know. It just right like Harry just doesn't ever really quite like he gets upper hand kind of, but he's still living with these shitty people. Yeah, I mean he doesn't even really. It's it's stretching to say that he gets the upper hand at any point. Like once the once Sirius isn't introduced into the story for whatever reason, they just accept it when he just tells them that he has like a murderous godfather that he found out about, but. You know, that's when he starts being able to, like, access his homework. But it it doesn't mean that he's being treated well. It's just that, like, he has something to, like, use as leverage. But they, I mean, they treat him like garbage through the entire series. Yeah. And it really is. It's It really isn't ever treated with very much weight by Rowling. And something that... I actually had I had down to talk about in the editorial section, but I actually think that it belongs here. So, you know, they do all of this to him because they want to, like, quash his magic, right? Yeah. And for whatever reason, they think that if he's, like, dispirited enough, he won't turn into a wizard. And that's their objective. And they go so far to do that the thing that i wrote down aunt petunia is dying old clothes of dudley's the color of harry's new school's uniform in the sink which is like that's a decision that she makes with the explicit objective of making harry look foolish like that is an extensive amount of work that she's undertaking. Like there's no way that she's doing it because she's like cheap, right? They're not, they have a lot of money. They buy Dudley everything he wants. They're, you know, solidly middle-class. Yeah. They are very definitely middle-class. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're fine. They can afford to buy Harry's school uniform. She makes the decision All right, so we were talking about the extreme efforts that the Dursleys go to to make Harry a target, right? Aunt Petunia dyeing Dudley's old clothes for his school uniform, which, like, totally aside from, like, that is so much work to make him look, like, embarrassing and bad, also is just not how school uniforms work. <laughs> like, he's going to get sent home. So she's doing all that work for nothing. Right. It's like, it wouldn't have been that much effort to be like, I brought you like $20 worth of like thrift store shit. And I'm sure that I I have to assume that like used uniforms are available, right? Because like not everyone can afford new ones. So like she still could have like embarrassed him by getting him secondhand school uniforms. So like the extent of like, I, I still insist on you wearing Dudley's old clothes and like clothes that you're swimming in and they're going to look terrible because I dyed them in the kitchen sink is like, it's a commitment. It's a commitment to him continuing to be bullied at school because his glasses are broken and his clothes don't fit. 
where are the teachers at? Like, is there really not a teacher name where he's like, oh, there's something really weird going on with this, like, Potter kid. And he's, like, skinny and, like, clearly, like, malnourished. And I'm like, y'all. Even if clearly wizards don't have CPS, there's actual muggle seat. Like, no one was like, something funny's going on here. That, for sure. He is, like, clearly not in a good situation. And maybe... You know, I don't I don't want to say that, like, any kid who's coming to school in, like, ill-fitting clothes and, like, who clearly doesn't have a great home life needs to have CPS called. Because, I mean, that isn't the case. Some kids come right. from, like, very loving, supportive homes and just, like, don't have a lot of money. But these these teachers, this school, they know Dudley. And they know that, that the Dursleys are the caretaker of both of these children. And that right. makes it so different they saw dudley go through are they in the same grade i think so they're about the same age so even if they have different different teachers every year which seems really unlikely school officials know that these kids are related right the same people are showing up for parent teacher conferences or whatever and everyone's just like yeah sure why not this kid i mean his glasses are always broken because Dudley hits him in the face. So he's coming to school with bruises. Clearly no one is like taking care of this child. Mm-hmm. So where, where are the neighbors, right? Like where is anyone? And it's like, ugh. so it's like, that's frustrating. I feel like it's more frustrating. Cause it's like Dumbledore knows all this shit. You couldn't have, like, showed up when he was, like, four to be like, yo, take better care of this kid. (laughs) I mean, I just can't, like, help but think is, like, is this lingering magic protection on Harry, like, living with the Dursleys worth it? Because I feel like it's not. I'm just, I don't know. I agree. I don't know that Dumbledore knows. Okay, but when the letter is, like, hit to Harry under the the cover, isn't McGonagall like, wait, hold on, hold on. Like, this kid is living in a closet. This... What? Right. I, I, I still, I'm like very uncomfortable with the fact that they know where his room is. That does not make me happy at all. But from whenever it is that Dumbledore is like, I'm going to tell you everything in like book six, I think he's like, you show up to Hogwarts and like not as well cared for as I would have hoped, but like whole nonetheless it gives me the impression that Dumbledore was not keeping tabs in the intervening years which is weird it's a weird choice to not have home visits right like that's what you do when you place a foster child you have home visits but like even if that it's like you already suspect all of this shit with like the horcruxes and there's still fucking death eaters running around and you couldn't just like check in and be like it's like he has a vested interest in harry you couldn't have like had mcgonagall show up as a cat be like oh yeah he is incredibly skinny and covered in bruises what the fuck and like harry is always running into wizards out in the world right like he talks about how like strangers hug him and stuff and like none of those people were like "Mm, something seems really wrong here Like, maybe I better go talk to Dumbledore. And I know, so, like, Dumbledore has this very, like, Gandalf-y quality about him, right? Where it's like, 
Gandalf similarly is like, I got caught up in like reading manuscripts and I forgot to care about hobbits for a minute. My bad. I didn't send that letter on time. Like you almost got captured. And I I think that's really like what we're supposed to just accept about these wizard characters is like, they're so wise. They have so much to take care of. They're really busy, like knowing everything about everything. Like we can't really expect them to be on top of all of the things yeah delegate fucker like just <laughs> do anything right set up wizard cps so that you can just like have somebody whose job it is is to go like see if harry's okay and it's like especially after like what dumbledore knows about like tom riddle and like all this shit with like fucking snape it's like you guys fucking need ch- like wizard cps yeah like, what is going on with any of these children? And they show up to Hogwarts and it's like, well, whatever's going on in your home life. <laughs> Too bad. Like, what? Yeah. And honestly, that doesn't, that shouldn't just be on Dumbledore. Like, we're being really hard on Dumbledore right now. But it, that should be just in terms of, like, the ministry. That should just be something that's, like, built into wizarding society is, like, making sure that children are okay and... It, right. it clearly isn't. I mean, like, Tom Riddle, yeah, but, like, he was in... No one knew about him, right? Like, whatever sensor goes off when a kid is 10 and it's like, oh, they're gonna... They're wizards, we should invite them to Hogwarts or whatever. I, I have to assume it doesn't, like, go off before then. I mean, maybe it does, in which case Riddle is a good example. But, like, I'm thinking about Morphin and whatever... Riddle's mom's name is Marope. Like they were in the wizarding world, you know, they someone should have known about these children. And Harry is being raised in horrible conditions, but like those kids were fucked up. It's like, it's like sort of weirdly like whenever you read stories about kids here in the u.s who escape really funny conservative homeschooling mm-hmm. and i feel like the wizarding world feels like it has a lot of non-religious weird fundy people totally right? i mean you have like Vol- voldemort's mom i mean even like the shit with you know dumbledore and his like sister and like his <sighs> <laughs> yeah it's it's broken uh someone really needed to come like intervene okay and so we've like totally missed the fact that like there was an observer like Dumbledore did place someone. He placed Mrs. Fig there to watch Harry. He had someone on the inside. He knew, he knew we're wrong. He knew the whole time she knew what was going on. She knew that she like had to give him a terrible time. Otherwise the Dursleys wouldn't let him go to her house anymore. She saw that he was being abused. She was reporting to Dumbledore. She tells us she was reporting to Dumbledore. So So there's no excuses. At the, so I'm about to put on my tin hat, my tinfoil hat. Okay. Um, of conspiracy theories about this whole thing is that like, I think I think then the question begs: it's either like Dumbledore completely like criminally negligent about what's happening to Harry before he comes to Hogwarts, or he did it fucking on purpose, which I think is like I don't know what's worse. So let's say Dumbledore's like, you know what's going to be way, a way easier person to like 
mold into my like weapon against Voldemort is someone who's like mentally and like emotionally abused. Oh my god, my whole heart is breaking out of my body. And that's why this is like totally like tin hat because I feel like Dumbledore isn't that much of a douchebag, but it's like bro did, we're totally just like hey as long as you know this whatever residual magic from his mom's sacrifice totally it's totally fine Every, nothing else matters and i'm like actually a lot of other things matter yeah and i i think that 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 is the case that he's like well the, this is the most important thing the most important thing is that he stays with them so that the spell doesn't wear off which is i just have to say <laughs> there's some really screwed up ethics in the wizarding world which includes the fact that they're like really okay with like placing a confoundus charm on somebody to alter or like wiping someone's memory right yeah absolutely dumbledore could have intervened in a way that left harry with the dursleys and just fundamentally changed the way that the dursleys thought about and interacted with harry by doing like really really terrible and inappropriate magic (laughs) but they do it all the time like that's true does that to marietta what's her face in book five he's just like just wipe just wipe her memory it's fine (laughs) no big deal whatever this poor child will never remember why she has these unremovable zits that say sneak on them like we have to do this for the cause. So, like, if all's fair in love and war, I'm pretty sure that what the Dursleys are doing qualifies under that, under the love category of that. Go in and just and just change them. Like, it fits within your ethical code as a wizard. Just do oh my it. God. Yeah, I mean, really, at that point, yeah, like, just make them slightly less terrible people. It would be so easy, right? Just, like, make Petunia forget that she hated her sister. Like, just modify that one piece. Make it so that she's like, I'm so sad that Lily is dead. Like, he could have done that the day he dropped Harry off. Right. Which, okay, I just have this one bit of just frustration about this. Like, let's leave this baby in a blanket (laughs) with a letter on the steps in, like, the middle of the night. I'm just like, couldn't couldn't you have waited three hours and be like, yo, Petunia, I'm Dumbledore. You probably remember me from, like... 15 years ago uh here's your here's your nephew take good care of him okay thanks like it would it wouldn't have taken that long right and especially then because he could have gauged her reaction and and you know later he's like i told you to care for him as if he was your own and you didn't do it and i'm so mad at you it's like you probably could have figured that out if you had talked to her and seen her be like i hate my sister I don't want him. We're going to, you know, talk about giving him up. And then he could have right then and there just been like, well, I'm going to modify your memory. So too bad for you. Right. right. <laughs> just exactly. just fix this, fix the situation if you're going to be like so stubborn. But he didn't. He did it real wrong. And yeah. McGonagall let him. Like, that's the worst part. She would never. We know Professor McGonagall under no circumstance would she be like, yeah, bro, it's fine. Put the baby on the porch. You know, <laughs> like, 
she she would have at least if he was like she couldn't talk him out of it she would have stuck around to see what happened and then she could have swooped in you know right i mean i'm just really imagining her like freaking the fuck out when she's like why the fuck am i sending a letter to harry potter in the cupboard under the stairs are you fucking kidding me dumbledore like she i feel like she would have been like what is this bullshit for sure you know yeah no it's it's bad and the fact that we really like we get resolution with dudley but we we part ways with the dursleys in book seven with no change which i guess is like really honest and i in general am a fan of things being like true instead of like always uplifting and like always a happy ending but it just is like such a such a heavy and intense thing to like write into your story and then just be like yeah and they stayed that way no maybe i'm glad they stay that way i don't know i mean they're still basically like cartoon villains because they're just like okay whatever i mean but needs a shit ton of therapy (laughs) so these attempts of the Dursleys to try to, like, stamp out his magic is very reminiscent <laughs> of, like, people trying to, like, stop their children from being gay. Yes. Yeah. They're definitely on the, like, uh, Mike Pence train of thought oh about, getting, about getting, about trying to prevent Harry from being a wizard. And it's like, it's just... You know that, like, Vernon also probably would, like, hear you say that and be like so stoked to be compared to mike pence um, like what a stand-up guy he probably voted for a brexit and then was like wait what <laughs> what he they absolutely voted for brexit <laughs> no question so <laughs> there's like what the fuck oh my god editorials the section in which we rant about things we have not yet ranted about. <laughs> oh man, what is left for us to rant about? <laughs> not really that much. I think we already ranted about most of the things that I had to rant about. I do I do want to like do a solid a solid rant about the whole Dumbledore, Hagrid, baby Harry, destroyed house situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So All right. Dum- Dumbledore knew, he knew that Harry was in a crib, in a blown up house, in the room with his dead mother's body. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Hagrid, you can't apparate. You're too big to use flu powder. Go get the baby. You go get the baby. I could pop the fuck over there for one second and get the baby and be back. Like, literally before you blink. No. I'm busy. Hagrid, go get the baby. (laughs) (laughs) Or like McGonagall. Or like Sprout. Or like... Anyone who can apparate. Anyone who can apparate. Anyone who's still alive in the Order of the Phoenix at this point. Like, have fucking someone go get him. (laughs) 
it just like how was Hagrid supposed to be there? Like get there. How did Hagrid get to Godric's Hollow? If he hadn't gotten the motorcycle, how was he going to get to Privet Drive? Which even more confusingly, when did he like did he just see Sirius like drive like flying around is like, "Yo, can I borrow your bike to pick up your like godson?" Cuz I feel like if that if, if Sirius knew what was happening, he was probably like, "Wait, you know what? I should probably come with you." Cuz like my best friends are dead. So I just that whole timeline doesn't make any any sense. Like it just doesn't make any sense that like, that much time has passed and it's like did like has anyone fed Harry? Like I mean like no. what is like can we get him a, like a diaper? Like can we make sure he's like can we like take him to a doctor make sure he's like fucking okay? Like all right, cool, the Dark Lord is gone. But okay, but like this is a baby sitting in like a half blown up house in October in London. I mean, in England. It's fucking cold. This says, <clears throat> house was almost destroyed, but I got him out all right before the muggles started swarming around. He fell asleep as we was flying over Bristol. Which, <sighs> so then did he have the bike before the Potters were murdered then? Which seems even more weird. Like, why would he no. have Sirius' bike? So, okay. So, he got there to the house before the muggle cops showed up. So, like, it must not have been that, that much long after it actually happened. Because then if a where house have blows they up, been? Where have they been? Because the true. whole day of celebrating happens. That doesn't make any sense. The timeline is wrong. It's just, like, really broken because it has to be the next night. Yeah, it is the next night. And Hagrid just... And Hagrid... Just got him out because because the the owls are flying when Vernon gets up in the morning, so like Voldemort like must have been blown up that night, and right. then like Vernon goes through the whole day, and then McGonagall and Dumbledore are giving us terrible exposition like that night, and McGonagall just hanging out as a cat on Privet Drive all day, and she doesn't go check on the baby, but also maybe she I I don't know if. She maybe knew where Harry was, though, because it sounded like in the beginning that, like, Dumbledore was not expecting her to be there because he, like, makes fun of her sitting weird for a cat. Doesn't she say at some point that Hagrid told her that Dumbledore was going to be there? Oh, yeah. Hagrid's late. I suppose it was he who told you I'd be here. Yes, and I don't suppose you're going to tell me why you're here of all places. The only thing I could think of is if it was... Maybe Hagrid being an unexpected choice in case, you know, it wasn't totally true about Voldemort or in case, like, there's a bunch of, like, Death Eaters and they're like, oh, well, I mean, Hagrid isn't inconspicuous, but, like, why would he have baby Harry Potter? I mean, I assume that Dumbledore's decision making is that Hagrid is the only one that he is 100% sure is not a Death Eater. And I feel that. And if it, if the book indicated that, like, Dumbledore got the baby out earlier, had had the baby at Hogwarts all day, and just was like, Hagrid, meet me at Privet Drive. For whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Okay. Sure. Why not? Bring the baby on your flying motorcycle. But, like, the fact that ha- that Hagrid says he took him out of the house means that means that Dumbledore just left the baby in the house. He just left him in the house and was like, Hagrid, go get the baby and meet me. I'm making big gesticulating upset hand motions that do not translate onto a podcast. I'm speechless. 
there's no it's answers. Just, it's just like, like, it's like you, this is really the best you could come up with. You're supposed to get fucking brilliant. Like you couldn't. Just do the job yourself. Side along apparition exists. Do the job yourself. Get the baby. Get the baby. Go take a broom. For the love right. of a thestral. Get a thestral. Even like, even like, oh, hey, my good friend Batilda Bagshot, can you just like walk across the street and like get <laughs> this baby out of this ruined house and just like, can you just like chill for you like a little bit? You just murdered and me. <laughs> I'm dead. We have to stop this podcast. It was a good first episode. <laughs> right there she lives right there you could spit on her house from the potter's house yes oh no uh, oh man well donate to our patreon for this one episode podcast during which you heard someone die and it was me I'm a ghost uh well, now that I'm a ghost, I'm not ever going to be able to hit the stop recording button because I'm incorporeal now. So we're going to have to keep talking forever. Uh, but let's talk about something else. Okay. Just side note, why does no one wake up to the roar of Hagrid's motorcycle descending onto Privet Drive? That's nonsense. That's the only other one of my notes that we didn't already rant about earlier, so... Okay, we do talk about one more thing, which is how fucking cool a flying motorcycle is. And I'm like, (laughs) kind of surprised that it only shows up in this book in the last book. Like, that's fucking rad. Sirius Black was probably such a, like, babe. Such (laughs) a babe. Such a babe. Motorcycle and just like, there's like flowing, like, black hair and just. Oh my God. Just (laughs) my type. Is what Sirius Black was. <laughs> he has a dragon skin leather jacket and likes motorbikes. Right? Like, oh my god. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like kind of into it actually. Yeah, super, super hot. Also, the fact that that's my type means that I like just want to date myself, which is really <laughs> conceited and ridiculous. It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> It's a lot. Anyway, um, okay. Corrections in which we talk about things that break canon. Things that are inconsistent from one book to the next. I think I only have one correction, and I'm not sure if it's an actual correction. Which is the deluminator is called the put-outer in this book. (laughs) And I'm like, it's like either you commit to the put outer or it's like, I mean, you can't just like be like, oh yeah, the deluminator, which is a much cooler word than the put outer, but like. So, okay. I'm going to try really hard to not talk about witch please very much on this podcast, (laughs) but this is an opportunity. Like I can't not talk about witch please. Uh, So they address this subject really heavily. And so it's called a put outer. Until Ron receives it in Dumbledore's will. And I have to Mm. agree with them that realistically what happened is that Rowling was like, that's a dumb name and this thing is about to play a really key role in this book. And so she gave it a better (laughs) name. But 
in terms of it fitting in with the universe, Harry doesn't learn what it's called until he reads Dumbledore's will. And because this is through Harry's perspective, even though that first chapter is not, Mm -hmm. he just is a child and is like a put-outer. It puts lights out. That's fair. Or, you know, Dumbledore was like, I don't ever have to talk about this thing with anybody. I just self-refer to it as a put-outer and then was like, oh, if I'm going to will it to somebody, I should really sound cooler. (laughs) (laughs) Also reasonable. Right. I guess I also feel like if the ministry was like, you know, going through Dumbledore's things and like the put-outer, what is he putting out? This is a dangerous weapon of mass destruction so Ron Weasley can't have it oh yeah (laughs) that's true um I also have a note about the deluminator but it is that it works differently in this book than it does later he has to click it for every light he wants to suck into it but in when Ron has it it takes all the light in one click and releases it in one click. Because it releases all of them in one when Dumbledore uses it here, but he has to click it 12 times for 12 street lamps. Mm. Which would mean that it has like a an in function and an out function, right? Two different buttons. Yeah. But it's that's not consistent. I mean, I guess if you want to be generous, you could be like, oh, Dumbledore must have improved upon it when he was like, I really don't fucking want to hit this thing 12 times for every light. So we're going to just fix that. Touche. No, that's a really good point. (laughs) Especially because it's going to like draw so much attention if the lights are going out one at a time for 12 times. As opposed to like all the lights go out at once and you're like power failure. You know, right. like, immediately you're just like, oh, I don't even like it doesn't even it barely registers to be like, oh, is my power on? OK, cool. Whatever. Right. If they go out one at a time, you're like haunting or like <laughs> the end of the world. <laughs> so yes. um, other corrections. Apparition. Dumbledore appears silently. Also, Harry, when he's describing all these weirdos that he's run into over the course of his life, are gone when he turns around to look at them, which means they're also presumably apparating silently. But also in public in front of muggles. Like, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Sure. Maybe they step into an alley or something. (laughs) But my question is, can Dumbledore apparate silently because he's the greatest wizard of all time or did she just decide between this book and the next one that apparition makes a sound i feel like the answer to that is in the half-blood prince because harry is actually side apparating with dumbledore but i don't remember i don't know if we ever get a description of the sound that apparition makes when someone is actively apparating because i don't know if you experience it i mean i feel like apparition that doesn't make a giant sound like a car backfiring is way better yeah it's way better (laughs) way better kind of apparating i mean i think that i I probably i think that's just a like another oversight 
I think. I kind of feel like she decided that she wanted Apparition to make a sound for the like the whole drama of the scene with Dobby in book two and then was like, mm. oh god, am I stuck with this? <laughs> and decided to roll with it. Though it would have been so easy to make it so that just house elves make a sound when they apparate. And it would actually even make sense if like Dumbledore could apparate without making a sound. This has been The Gaily Prophet. Thank you for listening to our first episode. It's probably a hot mess because we had to start seven separate recordings <laughs> thanks to technology <laughs> not liking us. We hope that you like it enough to listen to another episode. You can find us on the internet, you can find us at patreon.com slash the gaily prophet. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at the gaily prophet. You can email us at the gaily prophet at gmail.com. And we want you to email us with all of your sweet photos of you in your uh, boarding school uniforms, please. Our logo was designed by our friend Theo. We have officially not yet recorded our theme song, and so I will record an, a credit for it when it exists. Thank you for listening. We don't have an outro. Email us your outro ideas. Good night, Night Vale. I mean, wait, wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just steal other podcasts. We'll just steal the podcast outro. Right. Until next time, good night, Hut on the Rock. Good night. (laughs) We don't have an until next time, so until next time, nothing. (laughs) Stay gay, everyone. Keep it real cool. Take 750. (laughs) (laughs) That, we should, we should maybe try all of that again. (laughs) I don't know how you feel about trying all of that again. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Go, you do it. We love you a lot. You're great. Bye.